Well, Anthem, I hope that you do tip a buck or few when you get your morning brew and not just because uh, she or he might come to your church, which is kind of highly unlikely, isn't it? Uh, but I do think it's important right now during a pandemic that we talk about the subject of generosity as we come to the conclusion of our Stay Positive series, because this is a time when we could easily fall into a scarcity mentality, into a feeling like uh, we are running out of everything and things are just going to get worse. You know, as followers of Jesus, um, we, it, we perhaps know uh, in the back of our minds that yes, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, maybe we've heard that verse that says, I will supply all, all your needs according to my riches in glory from Philippians 4. Maybe you've heard the verse that says that he who gives will receive. Um, but it gets harder to believe that stuff, doesn't it? It gets harder to believe God's word, to believe the principles in the scriptures during a, during a time when it feels like sometimes that maybe God's a little further away, a little distant than we've, we've sometimes experienced. In fact, there's an Old Testament passage of scripture, uh, a prophet by the name of Haggai, who in the first chapter of his prophecy, he said this as he uh, reflected on where the people of Israel were at the time. He said this, you've sown much and yet you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. And then here's the kicker. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so only to put them in a bag with holes. Ever felt like that? Like, I mean, you, you think about this as being an Old Testament passage of scripture, but you're probably wondering, that sounds like me in 2020. Like you earn wages only to put it in a bag with holes. And it just feels like what comes in the door goes out as, as rapidly as it came in. And so you might be thinking, well, did that come from the Bible or did I write that? Because it just feels like reality for us. So it, what happens in, in difficult seasons, we, start, we stop looking to God and then we start trying to figure stuff out on our own. We can easily stop being positive and get into negativity uh, because we, we feel like we're the only ones that can get us out of this mess uh, rather than continuing to put our trust and faith in an almighty, abundant God. You know, scarcity, uh, we have a habit to live with a scarcity mentality while serving a God of abundance, while serving a God who can meet our needs. I mean, if you don't believe me, um, what about the great uh, toilet paper shortage of April 2020? I mean, that was just the weirdest thing, wasn't it? I mean, if you look at the, if you look at the, the symptoms, go to Google and look at the symptoms of COVID-19 and you'll find the one that is, that is out of the 11, 11 symptoms, the one that is right at the bottom. And when I say right at the bottom, I mean, you know, the one that would impact that part of our world if that came upon us, it doesn't seem to be like this respiratory virus results in any need for this in large quantities. But we went nuts, didn't we? Because we just have this feeling sometimes that everything is going to run out. Everything is going to get worse. And I want to ask us that question today. Do we uh, live in a space where we believe everything is about to run out or are we trusting in a God about whom this is written? And this, listen to what Paul the Apostle said when he wrote to the church in Ephesus 3.20. Now to him 
who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is, that is, sorry, that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Uh, like God can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. But it's easy for us to get wrapped up into the scarcity of feeling everything's going to crumble. Everything's going to run out. I better wrap my arms around what I've got and hold tightly to what I have for fear of losing it all. That is not our God. That is not the God that you serve. Sometimes we want to think in the midst of uh, the, a mindset that things are going to get worse, that stuff's going to run out. I'm ruined. Uh, you know, everything's going to run out. Whereas God is a God of abundance and he wants to be that God of abundance to us. God called us to trust in his abundant provision. Now, I know there's, there's, uh, there's this uh, phrase, uh, particularly here in America, known as the prosperity gospel. And the motive behind that is usually uh, a selfish one, that if I, if I give to God, he will give back to me. And the, the emphasis on, is often on the what he will do for me. If I have the faith, God will give something back to me and I'll be the, the healthy and wealthy one. And, and personally, I reject that because I believe it doesn't describe the character of God as, as, uh, as it's put into practice. Uh, there's another extreme, which is which you would call the poverty gospel, which uh, basically says that if I'm going to be a Christian or follow Jesus, I'm, I'm sort of resigning myself to living in poverty my whole life and, and, and never experiencing God's abundance. But I believe that a more truer and, and uh, more biblically based gospel is, is a provision gospel that trusts God as our great provider, even in the midst of difficult times. And today, I want to point us to our great provider. Uh, you know, there is an enemy who wants to steal everything in your life away from you, including your life as well. And he is in complete contrast to Jesus, our great provider. In fact, in John, John 10, Jesus said these words, a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come that I have come, he, Jesus said, I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you would expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. God wants our lives to overflow with the life that he has for us. And we've always said at Anthem that we're here to awaken everyone around us to the life that God has for us. This abundant life that can be found nowhere else except in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So here's the question for today. Uh, it's this. I just got a few short thoughts about this. How do we inoculate ourselves from a mindset of scarcity that robs us of the abundance that God wants to live in? And to look at this, we're going to look at an Old Testament passage uh, uh, in the book of 2 Kings, and it describes uh, the prophet Elisha and the interaction that he had with a woman in, that, uh, in this one story. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1, says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. 
Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. It's almost like the olive oil was was an afterthought to her original statement. Your servant has nothing at all. Now, to give you a bit of context for where this passage of scripture lies, the the current king of Israel has allowed the nation off to to, to go off and worship other gods. Uh, The whole country is in disarray. And this woman is one of the few, her and her late husband were one of the few remaining followers of, of, of Almighty God and servants of Elisha the prophet. And she says, like, listen, my husband's dead. He revered Almighty God. He was your servant. And she's pretty much saying, listen, we're still in the hole here. We're still in trouble. You could say that she was mad at God. She was kind of ticked off that God hadn't come through how she had hoped that he would. Now she's saying, listen, my kids are, my kids are being forced into servitude. My husband, uh, her husband died in debt and was, and, and as was a legitimate thing under Mosaic law at the time, um, her, his creditors, whether that's Bank of America or Citizens Bank or Shout out to my buddy, Marcio, Citizens Bank. Just kidding. But like her, her creditors could force her sons into uh, servitude or into slavery to pay off the debt. This woman is struggling. She's barely holding it together. And I know that we can't necessarily, in most cases, relate to our children being forced into slavery, but we can sometimes relate to that situation of feeling like we're at the end of our rope. We've got, we've got, it feels like we've got nothing. And it can feel like everything is stacked up against us. But if you find yourself in a similar place today, I want to encourage you with what I believe are three principles of God's provision in our lives that we can put into practice that will release us from scarcity mentality. And the first is this, don't diminish what you do have. Like right in this situation, this woman said, you know, your servant has nothing there at all except for this small jar of olive oil. There was even abundance and scarcity in this conversation between Elisha and this widow because he's saying to her, he's saying, what do you have in your house? And she's saying, well, your servant has nothing. He's focused on what she does have. She's focused on her lack, on, on the fact that she has virtually nothing. Scarcity fixes us on what we lack, on what we don't have. But abundance refocuses us back on what we have. Don't diminish what you have because in the hands of Almighty God, whatever we have can have an impact, even if it is something small. Do you spend more time complaining about your lack and what you don't have or more time recognizing what God has provided for you, even in difficult situations, even if it seems small? Our God is a faithful God and provides for us. And it's important that we continue to see God's provision in small situations so that we're ready to take on, uh, we're ready to put bigger faith in an an almighty and an abundant God. So, So don't diminish what you do have. Number two is this, God often does the extravagant with what seems insignificant. 
For instance, a, a, a farmer would never harvest a crop if he, if he only believed in the, like there was no point to the small seed. The reason a, har a farmer harvests a crop is because he has a great belief that these small seeds are going to create an abundant harvest. It's the seed that's sown in faith that creates exponential growth. Think about this widow. She doesn't know what to do. She has no clue what her next step is, but Elisha challenges her towards a step of faith, even in her small situation. Verse 3, Elisha said this, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour oil into the jars. As, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She's probably thinking, this is, this is crazy. I've got a small jar of oil and you're asking me to get multiple jars from the neighborhood and, and you're going to fill them up with what? But verse 5, it says, She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. Do you get that? When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. And God did a miracle in this woman's home that day. You see, God does the extravagant with what seems to be insignificant. Now, there's no other principle in Scripture that describes this more than the principle of the tithe, uh, in, uh, of, of bringing 10% of our income or our increase to God. Uh, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, uh, the prophet Malachi said, bring, uh, uh, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, what's the storehouse? The storehouse in the Old Testament was the Old Testament temple. In the New Testament, it's the local church. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. You see, God wants his house to be resourced in order that it can be a blessing. And then God says something that he has never said before up until this point. And it might almost contradict other, th other things he said, but he says this, Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God asks us to test him, to put him on trial, put his word to the test. When we tithe, when we bring our tithe to the local church, to our great and uh, providing God, he says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of blessing that you will not have room enough to store it. This isn't me or anybody making this up. This is God's word to us. See, God does the extravagant through what seems insignificant. You know, you might be wondering, like, why didn't God just pick a number? Like, bring the whole thousand dollars into the storehouse. Well, that would like write so many of us out of the picture, wouldn't it? Maybe there are some for whom a tithe is $1,000 a month. Uh, maybe there are those for whom it is $5 a month. Um, and that, that is, our, uh, that is a, a, a tithe of what, we, of what we earn. But God wants us all to be involved in watching him create food in his house and then a secondary promise that we can see if he, God doesn't open the floodgates of blessing. That's the way that God works. 
Now, God, the third principle here is that God's abundance often follows our faith. God's abundance follows our faith. Here is this widow. She has a measly amount of oil, but she is challenged. With what you have, will you begin to pour? And she does it. She picks up that oil and she begins to pour. And, and God's provision follows her faith. Verse 6 said, when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. Verse 7 says, she went to the man of God. And, you know, you know that she went to the man of God because Elijah was, Elisha wasn't in the room. I believe that Elisha wasn't in the room because if he had been in the room, she would have pointed this miracle to him rather than it being a miracle that was dependent on her faith in an almighty God. And, she said, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what's left. Now, we tend to get this backwards. We want God to give us more and then say, then we'll be able to start pouring. But, but God calls us. He says, I need you to first begin to pour, even when it seems like you don't have. If we didn't have the faith to first poor, we would not see the continual lifetime of provision of a faithful God. Now, on these lines, a favorite story of mine is of a couple that have been with us at Anthem for about a year and a half, and their names are Conrad and Tracy, and you may, may, may know them. Um, and they have had an experience of participating in a, a course early on in their marriage uh, their, their marriage was struggling, their finances were struggling, and everything was kind of upside down. And they committed to a, a, a course called Financial Peace University. And I want you to hear their story this morning uh, for two reasons. One, because it's inspiring. And secondly, because we are going to offer this opportunity for all of us at Anthem to get our financial house in order and begin to put our trust in God in a new way. And we're going to do this right out of the gate in January, in the new year. But watch their story. And as you're watching it, ask God whether he would want you to join them on this journey of financial peace. Hi, I'm Conrad. I'm Tracy. And we've been married for 13 years. And we have two little children, a two-year-old and four-year-old. And we're from Milford, Massachusetts. The marriage before FPU was very stressful. Lots of tears, lots of fights. It seemed like it was almost a daily occurrence that we were arguing about money or because we were frustrated about money, we were arguing about other things in life because of just the tension that's always there. So we signed up for Financial Peace University in the fall of 2012. The first day of class, I was just so angry and I didn't want to be there. Um, but it was fantastic once we heard the message and it was just fantastic to, to hear it together and understand how we can balance each other out. There's a ton of value whether you're married, you're single, you're young, you're old. There's so many principles about this to uh, about this class and what you can learn and how you can implement it in your life. And this really gives you the chance to kind of look under the hood. What is really going on with your finances? And then make a plan and then start tackling it one by one. It's been eight years since we took uh, FPU as students of the class. Since then, we have uh, actually been coordinators. We've taught the class. Uh, five or six times now. Each time the group is different. We've done small groups, we've done big groups, um, but it's fantastic. The reason we do it is because what it did for us. The stress that has just been removed because we're not 
freaking out about finances, it's, it's amazing. And so if we can help one person or one married couple just make a step forward, this whole thing is worth it for us. And coming into a year like 2020, where people are struggling financially in so many different ways for so many different reasons, having that, that God-given peace about finances, we're calm about what's happening around us because we know God's in control. Like he's gonna lead us through this because we've seen it happen. And we're doing our part in, in following through on those principles uh, as best we can. And we see the fruits of it in, in you know, times like this where it's really chaotic, we, we can just have that peace uh, that, that God's got it and we don't have to stress about it. So many people are struggling so deeply in a way that Conrad and Tracy were a number of years ago. In fact, I read a Wall Street Journal article just recently that said that of, of uh, United States families that have non-mortgage debt, uh, for families that earn about 100000 a year, the average debt for those that have non-mortgage debt is $92,000. Anthem, so many of us, are drowning under a level of debt that stops us being able to serve God and to live freely with financial peace that God called us has called us to live with. It is robbing us of so much freedom in Christ. It's robbing us of experiencing God's abundance and it's impacting our relationships and our marriage in marriages. And I want to tell you personally that the principles of Financial Peace University have impacted my life more than I could even describe to you this morning, has, has made life-altering uh, life changes in my life and my wife's life and our family. And so we are offering Financial Peace um, as a, as a nine-week course that is going to be starting right out of the gate on January 4th, right after the beginning of the new year. And that's a time I know when so many are thinking, I want to get my financial house in order. And there is no better a way than to do that by putting biblical principles in place in your life. And, you know, this, this was the first, uh, this is the first uh, course or experience that we've ever offered at Anthem that isn't free. There's a, there's a charge for this, but I, I want to guarantee for you to you that the investment is well worth it. And I would challenge you not to, not to leave it till the end of the year or the last minute because we need to get materials to you to have you join on this. Most of it will be done over Zoom, um, but it, it could be life-changing. It will be life-changing if you put these principles into place. And so go to anthemchurch.life soon and you'll see there the, uh, the Financial Peace University icon on the front page. And I'd love to have you start the process of signing up for that and joining us, um, joining us uh, in an experience of financial peace that could alter your future and your family's future and your legacy. Join me on that. It's going to be an incredible journey. Now, next week, I want to invite you to be back with us at Anthem Church Online or at the Doubletree Bedford Glen because we're going to be interviewing two couples 
next Sunday who are starting brand new churches here in New England. They're both churches. The Anthem is, it has the privilege of joining their support team and is going to be involved in helping launch these churches and get them off the ground. And we're really excited to introduce you to uh, two church leaders uh, that are going to be with us next week um, at a church in Vermont and a, a church in New Hampshire. So Anthem, thanks for joining with us this morning. I can't wait to meet with you again next week. God bless you. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and we will see you next week. God bless you.